I hope your day is going well. Welcome to the Eat, Live, Love, Train podcast. It's not a tagline, it's a lifestyle and a community of individuals devoted to food, wine, and wellness. I'm your host, Shannon Thede, professional private chef, certified sommelier, and certified wellness coach. Also proud Air Force veteran, hashtag gratitude. This is a show where we talk all things food, wine, and wellness. As you listen, this will be one of the best moments of your week where you are entertained like a stand-up, educated like a TED Talk, and enlightened like a sermon. And in this week's episode, we're talking all about wine, but not just any wine, California wine. Having lived in the Napa Valley for the last two years, these are just my thoughts on the future of California wine. The wine industry within the United States has grown considerably since the 1970s. Nowhere is it more prevalent than the state of California. The wine industry within the Golden State has made some dramatic shifts beginning with the 1976 Judgment Day of Paris, showcasing a pair of wines from two now prominent AVAs within California. Unbeknown to wine aficionados around the globe, the seemingly quaint towns of Stag's Leap in Calistoga would never again be underestimated nor denied by critics ever again. Since that time, there has been a changing of the guard and all glory goes to the Napa Valley region. This is one of the many global changes the wine world has witnessed, and the result of this one event has caused a chain reaction never before seen in the New World. Theoretically, California's Wine State of the Union address offers some stimulating twists, turns, and plot changes that are bound to have dozens of implications. This means at very least, Industry trailblazers in all regards will be holding nothing less than an equivalent G8 summit from all state AVAs regarding the forecast for California's wine industry. These future implications are indeed epic, beginning with the current global impact. Although wine sales have increased each year of the past several years, consumers are starting to be cognizant how much wine they consume and the price points when deciding on certain types of wine and resulting in sales not being as lucrative in the near future as in recent times. California's impact to the wine trade can best be illustrated by their tourism industry alone. For seven consecutive years, the state has seen the number of tourists increase, generating over $126 billion. Its tourism channel alone has generated over 1 million jobs. Tourism has also initiated tax expenditures in excess of over 10 billion dollars. This is a testament to a bolstering economy across the nation. With the confluence of Hollywood, marquee restaurants, professional sporting events, seductive year-round weather, mm -hmm, and last but not least, provocative wine valleys, California is a desirable location for all consumers, both home and abroad. It has also been my experience as an expat living abroad that Western influence is colossal and one that has the world turned on its ear. The state of the healthy economy is a precursor to making tourists feel more inclined to indulge in their spending patterns. Occupancy rate within the state reached an unprecedented 81%, recording over 29 million hotel stays. Within the Union, California is the number one desired location, beating out Florida and Hawaii. 
Although Michelin star restaurants has been a focal point to tourists, wine has become a key contributor to influence travelers. Arguably, prior to the Judgment Day of Paris, there was not many travelers interested in coming to California solely for the sake of wine indulgence. Today, not only has this completely changed, wine tourism represents an integral element of the overall tourism industry. Now tourists are seeking to know more about the wine outside of the old world and California seen as the number one alternative. There are many worldwide hotel chains and travel agencies that offer incentives to their patrons in the form of packages such as wine holidays, wine tours, weekend wine getaways, Napa and Sonoma Valley exclusive escapes, and private wine tasting experiences to name several marketing models. California is also seen as the number one wine region in the New World as it produces 90% of the nation's wine and almost 30% more than Australia. If it were its own country, California would rank fourth in regards to wine production. That's according to Beverage Trade Network. All accolades can not only go towards tourism. Taking a line out of Blockbuster's 1989 iconic film, Field of Dreams, Build It and They Will Come, in my mind, depicts the vines of the Golden State. In order for travel to ensue, you must first build it, and they will come. They most certainly did. California not only built its very own Field of Dreams, as the fruit portrays the leading role. The grapes themselves not only deserve a round of applause, but an encore and standing ovation. I do not dare rake them in altogether. In the words of the late great Aretha Franklin, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Chardonnay. Although I am partial to a white burgundy, I believe the grape to be held in high esteem. The name alone implies a certain reverence. Viewed as the most popular varietals by many, there are thousands of acres of the grape spread across California, Washington, and Oregon. The evolution of California Chardonnay and its capability to stand up against some of the premier burgundies produced in France is attributed to early producers in the Napa Valley. However, California cannot rest on its laurels. Within the nation, neighboring competitors in Oregon and Washington are also making some ground. During a food demo being hosted at CIA Copia, I spoke to a local chef from San Francisco, and he alluded to these regions making a name for themselves and steadily on the heels of California Chardonnays. Through current tech, innovation, and lessons learned from California producers, combined with the old over and under, Oregon or Washington could have their own shotgun success. Despite the future competition, what is remarkable is that in one generation, pioneers not only put American Chardonnay on the map, but Chateau Montalina would place their house, the region, and the entire state of California on a global spectrum for years to come. Considering that technology back then was not even close to what it is today, I suspect the future for this grape to be even better. With the help of technology, cloning, funded research, databases, viticulture and viniculture management best practices, I foresee the global positioning increasing for Chardonnay. Which state takes the lead in the future is a crapshoot. However, we must consider two additional implications. The first one is real estate. 
land is set at a premium in Napa and Sonoma Valley. Additionally, there are propositions and laws that regulate vineyard real estate. Even if you go elsewhere within California, it's not easy or inexpensive to get into the wine market. California real estate is increasing along with property taxes. Second, we must also consider that for many aspiring vintners, they start out by growing Chardonnay. And if they can't afford to live in California, let alone establish a successful vineyard, where will they take their aspirations, talent, and resources? Oregon, Washington, or elsewhere? Small businesses and large corporations have been exiting the state in recent years in search of not only greener pastures, but also in search of tax relief as California has the highest tax in the union. The spectrum that Chardonnay has established is also shared by another varietal, Cash Cab. The future of Cabernet Sauvignon, or Cash Cab as I call it, is also unknown. Cash Cab has some negative connotations to it. However, I do not refer to it as a disparaging term. As I said, pay respect and homage to the varietals that got you there. Considering that we live in a capitalistic thank you economy, this can be seen as a positive or a negative. I view it in a positive light because I do not see capitalism as a bad thing, particularly when there are more pros than cons. Yes, corporate agriculture is on the rise, and they're in it for the money, as are some sole proprietors. And yes, it could mean gloom and doom for the industry, but that could be said for almost all industries. Instead, I see it in a positive sense, in that vintners are leveraging the grape and using it not only to their advantage, but also to extend other socioeconomic expenditures for the region and wine industry in general. The California wine industry extends employment to well over half a million employment opportunities, some of which are in other states. Wages are just shy of $35 billion a year, and annual economic activity accounts for over $114 billion. As we venture forward into the future, I'm confident that these employment opportunities will continue to remain as long as the U.S. economy remains healthy. If that happens, I also envision employment opportunities increasing as we already are seeing more aspiring wine producers get into the market. Furthermore, not only are producers leveraging Cabernet Sauvignon, they are able to do so for good reason. When the grapes were planted years ago, it was with the fortuitous vision of the near future by fathers or grandfathers. In essence, what they foresaw as the future in Cabernet Sauvignon has created Cash Cab today. It took a vision or a chance to step into Cabernet Sauvignon. Not only did they do that, they were doing something back then that stood out a little different than their rivals in the regions of Bordeaux. Producing predominantly made wine with almost, if not all, of the same grape. It's well known that Bordeaux regions hold their wine in high esteem due to the blending of other well-known varietals. However, American ingenuity would set the stage as they started experimenting with barrel aging and introduced more oak into California wines. Stag's Leap would go on to share the spotlight and also project a global spectrum reach in a California Cabernet Sauvignon. Again, better technology, more funding, more resources can make the future of this grape a national media headliner. This alludes to another future implication in blends. 
Given the success of experimenting with barrel aging, vintners are taking the same approach toward making blends. Beating their counterparts in France at their own game makes for another great topic of discussion. Less regulation, secured funding, additional research, and free will have enabled much of this experimentation and allowed California to be the front runner it is today. However, the future of California's wine industry is not all about the grapes. The grapes cannot grow by themselves. They require a conductor. Vintners have played a pivotal role in the outcome of what we are able to enjoy today. Because we are a young nation in the world of growing vines, I believe that as we move forward, there will be more highly educated and well-informed producers to step onto the stage. With keen industry thinkers such as Steve Mathiasen, John Williams, Carol Meredith, and others, the future looks bright. Producers today are more in alignment with not only green initiatives in terms of organic and biodynamic practices, they are also learning better ways at the craft of vineyard management, while at the same time develop innovative approaches to the industry holistically. However, no matter how great the technology, innovation, or bio-savvy the practitioner, there is a challenge that presents itself on a global scale, climate change. Despite senior leaders and other naysayers that elicit climate change as being a fake theory or simply non-existent, those in the wine industry know that this is simply not true. It is seen as both a steadily growing trend and a threat. In the past several years alone, the influx and in temperature change has seen dramatic shifts all over the world and farmers and vintners are feeling the effects. These implications have adverse effects on grapevines overall production capacity. Variables such as bud break, bloom, horizon, and harvest dates are happening earlier each year. Verizon alone has some impacts in yield because if it ripens too early, it changes the integrity of the grape ranging from increased sugar levels to increased alcohol levels, which ultimately changes the characteristics of the wine. If photosynthesis will be altered, this can lead to underdeveloped grapes, which yields a wine that has herbaceous or vegetal notes. This means that producers must harvest the wine sooner than usual. Some are also being forced to plant different grape varietals as an alternative. But this is only a temporary fix as many grapes cannot handle the increasing heat, such as Pinot Noir. This grape is of significant importance because it is versatile, but still fragile. Causing producers to switch grapes is also an expensive measure in terms of overall farming. Producers will have to give some deliberation and thought as to which varietals to plant for the future. Grapes that have a tolerance for heat, such as Carignan, Tempranillo, and others, may find their way in California. Yes, current Cabernet Sauvignon producers can still rely on their crop, but as temperatures increase, hang time for grapes have to be compensated for and will vary from region to region and site to site. This will make viticulture and viniculture management even more cumbersome. However, it will also allow areas that were once too cool to grow a particular grape will now be able to do so. Moreover, in terms of competition, depending upon how it affects Oregon and Washington, it could project them into prime growing regions for other types of varietals that were once dominant to California's region. With global warming on the onset, this will also mean more potential wildfires for California, causing concern for aspiring vintners to go elsewhere. 
maybe even causing current vineyard frontrunners to relocate so as not to chance higher chances of devastation. That requires tremendous insight and even more resources. In summary, California's Wine State of the Union address is clear. No matter which argument is made, California cannot be content and run the risk of being complacent. The old business adage of what got you there will not keep you there may not apply. Because in the realm of wine, the traditional rules of engagement for business almost always apply, but not necessarily to the wine industry. There is always an exception to the rule, and the wine industry is not only an exception, but also seen as an anomaly. These are my thoughts, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say on the subject matter. There's always room to share. There's always more room to discuss. So I want to hear what's on your mind. You can reach me at chef Sam at eatlivelovetrain.com. I'm your host, Chef Shannon. Please subscribe. And thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen. I'll see you next week. And remember to eat, live, love, train, come out.